You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. For your next sci-fi addiction, you need to pick up the first books in the Spire novel series from author Peter F. Smith. The Spire brings to life a setting years after a viral apocalypse has decimated the world's population, leaving only a handful of families who were instrumental in the downfall of mankind as its new rulers. With mankind wiped out, these elites turn on one another with violent results. I enjoyed the incredible details put into the action scenes that rival any you could possibly see on the big screen, and the thought put into the world building crafts possibilities that are endless. The second book, Apocalypse Dawn, allows you to dive further into this dystopia from a survivor's point of view and will grip you instantly. You can pre-order both books on Amazon for 99 cents until November 8th, so sign into your account now and pick up your copies of the next major sci-fi hit, and always remember to geek out. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch right now. I guess uh, shift work for this means, uh, you know, police shifts, because uh, that's where we're watching the Watchmen. Yeah, and we Watchmen. had a call out. And we had a call out. Yes. In what way? We're missing one of the watchers. Ah, we did. We had a call. I get. I get it. I get it now. Um, yeah, we 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 had today. We have Elizabeth. Hi, John. Me, Stephen. That's me. And myself. And uh, Jessica is not joining us today. Whoa, whoa! What is your name, though? Oh, uh, my name is Mitch. (laughs) (laughs) For those people who have clearly decided to join us on exclusively this episode, I don't think I've ever said my name. Haven't you? Then how would we know? I don't you know. Say it on your Twitter tag at the end, but <laughs> that might be misconstrued for something else in the pun. I don't that's know. that's just true. I didn't even think about that. I, I did not think about that. <laughs> well, I'm Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on all the Geek Elite things. <laughs> uh, but yes, so as we said, we, we uh, have maybe one new story that we want to talk about and then we will get into our newly minted segment called the week's watch then we will go into rorschach's journal where john's going to explain to us at least one character from the watchman universe so that those who ha- don't know the backstory can get caught up a little bit and then we'll get into the episodes episode two of uh season one of hbo's watchman just as a real quick note, um, last week uh, a word was used on our podcast that is one that has, even even though it's been reclaimed by people of marginalized communities, um, after it was used, we all kind of talked about it and we didn't really feel comfortable with the use of it because we're not part of any of those marginalized communities. Um, if anyone was offended by the use of this, we just wanted to make sure that we met no, we had no ill intentions in using that. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Uh, it, it, but, you know, if you feel... 
that anything was uh, did offend you, please write into us. I, we'd love to talk to you and, and give you a platform to say something. So let's get into uh, any big news. We, Stephen, you said you wanted to talk about maybe the fact that Death Stranding is coming out this Friday? Yeah. Yeah. So on the 8th of November, uh, a big thing is happening. The world is subjected to Hideo Kojima's visions yet again. Um, people have reviewed <laughs> it already on other outlets and everything, and some people would say that they were gifted Hideo Kojima's visions yet again. Other people would say, like I just did before that. Um, <laughs> it's gotten very, very mixed reviews. Some of the most polarized game reviews I've seen in a long time. Um, yeah, I just wanted to let people know that it's a Friday release, not a Tuesday release. And enjoy it if you buy it. That is odd that also, it's coming out on a Friday instead of a Tuesday. Like it's a movie. It's, well, They've been kind Ko- of shifting to Fridays a lot for the big releases. Oh, and Kojima yeah. kind of has a boner for like the movie industry and Hollywood productions. I think he wanted to be a director first, and somehow kind of landed as a game designer instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the the outlet that he had for that. Um, uh, it is uh, also coming to PC in 2020 rather than just being on PlayStation 4, even though it is PlayStation public. So, all you PC people enjoy awesome okay let's get into the week's watch right now and uh i need you to know uh that jessica couldn't be here but she has sent in her week's watch this week so elizabeth is going to tell us what she watched what jessica watched this week so jessica's week's watch is Catherine the great on hbo she highly recommends it um helena marin is great in it and Helen, Helen Mirren. Okay. Is it Helen Mirren? She's got it, Helena Mirren, but... I think it's, yeah, it's I think probably it's Helen, Helen Mirren. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the fact that Catherine the Great is just a fantastic uh, historical character that very few of us know about. Uh, so she highly recommends that everybody jump on that. Oh, was it, was it, it must have been a movie then. Uh, no, it is... A series? It's a it's series. Uh, HBO. That's and the the, she's watched the, she watched the first episode this week. Very cool. All right. Uh, Elizabeth, do you have a, a week's watch? I do. Uh, so my weeks, I obviously don't watch a lot of TV outside of Geek's Watch. Um, my week's watch was actually C-SPAN <laughs> this week. Um, <laughs> That's a good I, one. I highly recommend it. Quite honestly, C-SPAN does not get enough credit. The things you hear on there said by all of your congressional representatives is far more entertaining than the news portrays it. Um, so <laughs> particularly this week, I listened to the uh, debate and then vote on the floor for House Resolution 660. This is the, uh, the short term of it is the short title for it is the uh, Bill on Impeachment. But the long title, the official title for this resolution is the directing certain committees to continue their ongoing investigations as part of the existing House of Representatives inquiry into whether sufficient grounds exist for the House of Representatives to exercise constitutional power to impeach Donald John Trump, President of the United States of America, for other purposes. Wow. 
and the fantabulous emancipation <laughs> of one Harvey Quinn. So I believe that it's a ridiculously long title for a bill that is exactly seven and a quarter pages. I'm going to say that. Double space. I'm going to say <laughs> seven pages of that is just the title. Exactly. So it made me think as I was listening, I was like, I wonder what the longest title to a bill has ever been. Oh, geez. Unfortunately, cool. despite significant research on my part, there has not, nobody has gone through all of the bills of Congress over the last, you know, 115 sessions. But uh, the Washington Post has put together a pretty fantastic article regarding <laughs> uh, bills that have great acronyms because Congress is all about the acronyms. And the top three are the Disclose Act of 2015, which stands for Democracy is Strengthened by Casting Light on Spending in Elections Act of 2015. Wow. God. The Ego Act, uh. Eliminating Government-Funded Oil Painting. Well, okay. <laughs> and the number one on the Washington Post article is the GIF, the GIF Act of 2015, Global Internet Freedom Act Oh, of 2015. Okay. They were going for the meme there. Exactly. They were definitely going for the meme there. So. Suddenly, Shield doesn't sound so stupid. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, who, who got Stanley to write all of these? <laughs> so, uh, I would highly recommend, you know, even if politics isn't your thing, some of the stuff that comes out of people's mouths while standing on the floor of the House of Representatives or on the Senate floor is just comedy. There you just go. Just comedy. So. Def- definitely check out C-SPAN then. <laughs> And, 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 and if if it's too real watching people in our own nation do this stuff, go watch the British courts. Oh, those are amazing. The British Parliament is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or the Italian one where they constantly break out into fights. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's just an Italian stereotype. Well, it's because of the way they talk. They, have to, they already have it their hands so, up. Looks so much like a fist. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, John, what did you do for your week's watch? Um, at the recommendation of our absent member, I watched Living With Yourself. Oh, okay. I loved it. Oh, really? It was delightful. It was heartfelt. It was very clever. And all I can say is uh, the the dance sequence set to, I think it's, uh, what, Super Freak? I don't know. I haven't watched it. It's just mm-hmm. magical to watch. Paul Rudd, does he dance with himself? With, is like the clone of him uh, or whatever no, it with, is? With his, well, actually, both him and the clone dance with his wife at separate times to the same song. Uh, it was like their wedding song or something. Uh, super Freak. I <laughs> think it's what, it was It was definitely Rick James. But uh, okay. it was either that or Give It To Me Babe, something like that. Give It To Me Babe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah they Unity. Do, they hold, <laughs> They do the whole uh, choreographed routine. It's just, it's awesome. And it's it's funny, clever, witty. I actually really like the writing style of the show where you'll see a progression of the story through one character's point of view. And then you'll also kind of back it up and then begin the same story from the other person's point of view. Interesting. And that happens throughout the whole season. It's really, really well done. And I do actually you, really enjoyed it. Do you happen to know who the writer of the series is? I don't know the writer, but uh, I do know that it was several episodes, if not the whole thing, were directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. And those names don't normally mean a lot to most people. The biggest thing that they've done in Hollywood was they directed Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, okay. But they directed a lot of really cool music videos in the 90s, uh, such as Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins and uh, a few other rock bands as well. So the creator of the show is Timothy Greenberg, 
worked on The Daily Show. He worked on The Daily Show. Uh, looks like he worked on the White Snacks show. Or he's a producer on White Snacks show. He's a producer on The Detour, which is also a pretty good, great show that was on TN or TBS. I mean, obviously, he worked with a lot of people from The Daily Show. He, he liked working with them. So that's that's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. It was really well done. Definitely has a unique uh, characterization to it. Very cool. Uh, Steven, what did you... Hit me with yours first, Mitch. You want to hit me with... You want me to hit you with it? Okay. Yeah. So, continuing on with my 365 challenge, uh, I watched some more horror movies this past week to get into the Halloween, Halloween uh, theme and all, but I watched... I think one of the best zombie movies, and trust me, I I know I have not watched Train to Busan yet, and everybody has... It's okay. Well, you're the only one that's ever told me that it's okay. (laughs) I'll tell you that right now. But uh, (laughs) one of the best zombie movies I had ever watched, it's called Cargo. It's on uh, Netflix at at the moment. It was a Netflix original in 2017 based off of a short film that you can find on on YouTube, which is also called uh, Cargo. But the the film on Netflix stars Martin Freeman. It is post zombie apocalypse, but people are, you know, doing what they need to do to survive. Him and his wife, uh, Martin Freeman and his wife have a baby on a boat. They scavenge other boats that come floating by at one point in time. Uh, this is all in the very beginning and it's a two year old movie, so I'm not really spoiling anything, but, uh, his wife goes onto the boat while Martin Freeman is sleeping and, uh, she goes onto the other boat and, not knowing that there is a zombie in the closet, it bites her. She then goes to the med kit that they have, which you know gives you instructions what you need to do. There's no real cure for it, but it says, hey, in 48 hours, you're definitely going to be a zombie. Here is this uh, needle that you can stick into your head at the 48-hour mark and kill yourself so that you, know, you don't hurt anybody else. What? Yeah. So... Martin Freeman sees this and he's like, you know, no, no, we're going to get you somewhere. Someone's going to, someone's got to have the cure by now. And you know, that kind of thing as they're on the road to get there, uh, another zombies in the road. And he, Martin Freeman swerves to not hit the zombie and crashes into a tree. So while he's in, they have now crashed into the tree. Uh, they, they're, everybody's knocked out. The baby's in the back seat. Okay. The baby's fine. But, uh, the the mother has passed the 48 hour mark so she is now a zombie he wakes up she bites him in the arm he has 48 hours to get his infant daughter to to someplace safe with people that he can be okay with uh that you know he's going to die in 48 hours so she needs something and it's all about the journey as he goes from person to person trying to figure out if they're going to be the person that he can leave his baby with it is so good it's like away we go but with zombies <laughs> kind of i guess that's a that's a way of putting it <laughs> that so, sounds really stressful yeah you know, it, 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 it was at, at times very stressful but i i really enjoyed it mm. do you ever watch that arnold zombie movie i uh wait the one with his daughter yeah uh i did not me neither I, I, it was like a girl's name. Yeah, it was like Amy or something like that. It's yeah. something. It's 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 his daughter's name. I don't think it's Amy, but yeah, it's something to that effect. Abigail. Yeah, yeah something like that. I, I wanted to. I I know I started it, but I think I fell asleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I never it, got around to it, but I heard that it was really subdued and it's like 
doesn't really play up to his strengths. It was actually more of a drama. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it just felt like Last of Us, so I didn't do it. Oh, that makes sense. Mm. Which everybody always talks about the ending of The Last of Us, and I and I I'll tell you this: I've only played the first three minutes of Last of Us, so I don't know what the ending is and why it's such a big thing. But I know the part two is coming out here pretty soon. I love the first video game, um, but I only ever played the first part. <laughs> so for anyone who's played the game and it's no spoilers whatsoever this came out when the ps3 was out um the the first thing that happens is that the the father and daughter they have this like little emotional part where um you get to love her she's super sweet and everything and then zombie stuff happens and then she ends up dying very quickly in the beginning right and you've played for like maybe 10 minutes I had a full emotional arc in that, and I never needed to go forward more. <laughs> I didn't play the rest of the game. <laughs> that makes absolute sense. So, I mean, that was a great value then for the, the money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you want to continue listening to the other movies I watched during the week for my uh, 365 challenge, just look up uh, hashtag 365 movie challenge. And you'll probably find me. I don't think too many other people are doing it on Twitter. Steven, what is it that you watched this week? So I also, uh, I, don't, I don't really watch much TV during the week. Um, the, the main things I really fit in are some comics every okay. once in a while. Uh, and so this week's thing that I got to read uh, was actually the final issue. It was a five issue series um, called Silver Surfer Black. Oh, wow. It is the... It's the first Marvel comic I've bought from, like, well, in general, in, like, two years, probably. Uh, and certainly the only thing that I've gotten from start to finish throughout its release. Um, the writer is Donny Cates, and the artist is Trad Moore, who I love forever. I will follow him. <laughs> either of us dies. Uh, it, it was very good. Um, I think that it's very much more, it, it's, like, chippy and psychedelic at times which i normally would not stick around for right um but the art and the writing both they pay heavy homage to old marvel yeah um whether that's like stanley or really anyone else that people appreciate in like the history of marvel right. i highly appreciate i highly recommend it to anyone who likes classic marvel stuff in general or just likes comics that have people that are superheroes in them now what <laughs> better superheroes? Now what? Uh, what's the general story of uh, for Silver Surfer in this this uh, miniseries? Uh, in this one, he gets swept up. He, he gets pulled out of whatever continuity thing was happening at the time, um, and then he he gets pulled into the black, um, this other realm that's outside of time, uh, and so he gets to go back through. He um, it's not really a spoiler because more about the journey than the individual pieces. Um, but he meets Galactus when Galactus is like young, uh, isn't like the planet creator, destroyer, any anything of the things that we know Galactic Galactus as. Um, so he he mess, like he has to deal with the idea of being able to kill this thing that causes him so much strife uh, and so many other people strife, but decides not to do it at the end of the t at the end of the exchange. There, um, he also meets a very young uh, ego, the planet. Um, teams up with him at one point. It's very, very interesting. Hmm. The, yeah, it's really cool. Donny Cates is quickly becoming Marvel's newest like 
uh, all star. Like every book mm-hmm. is him writing something uh, on it. Like he's bringing up all the new, all the characters, creating new characters of of like that are being thrown together. Like uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider is his. You know, mm-hmm. uh, his his ha- Hawkeye was uh, one of the most you know beloved Hawkeye stories that are out there. Mm-hmm. Donny Cates and he, Venom. And that, uh, that's right. Yeah, Venom is is uh, one that's a big pet project for him. He loves that character so mm-hmm. very, uh, very much a person to watch over there at Marvel. Very. Also, buy anything that tried more draws, guys. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. It's time for Rorschach's Journal entry one. Um. Yes, it's I, I, the first official entry. The first official. I mean, we had a, a semi unofficial entry last week. Yes. Um, well, we covered a little bit of Ozymandias, a.k.a. Adrian Veidt, or Veit, however it's a weird German name. Uh, yeah, so this will be our first official explanation as to who some of these people are from the original series and how they may relate to this current series that we're experiencing now. So, Rorschach's Journal. Here we have Rorschach. Real name, Walter Kovacs. Now, Walter lived a very humble yet abusive upbringing. I wrote this kind of like a high school report. Okay. Because I did this while I was at work. <laughs> Are you going to be right right in front of the class? And yes. Uh, Webster's uh, Dictionary defines... Uh, <laughs> so, now. Um, okay, so Walter was the son of essentially a whore who had her business out of their apartment. And he got to experience a lot of these people kind of just walking in and out and... He got to see some of this stuff in action, which definitely warped him as a child. He was very quiet and kind of stern, which caused him to be the focus of a lot of bullying. And, you know, from a very young age, like in grade school, he already had essentially a shell-shocked 1,000-yard stare, which (sighs) didn't really help him much because he also was very um, classically unattractive. He had mottled red hair, freckles, kind Mm -hmm. of a large nose. Um, He was just a, a sight to behold. Now, as he started to get older, you know, he was working in a textile factory and uh, they received some futuristic material that essentially had a shifting black and white pattern on it, similar to a Rorschach, uh, you know, inkblot test. Uh, This was meant to be the material for a custom dress uh, a young woman was requisitioning, uh, but she ultimately declined it saying she didn't like the fabric and, you know, that was the end of that, or so we thought. It turns out that this young woman was a real-life person named Kitty Genovese, who was famously murdered outside of her apartment complex while neighbors and onlookers did nothing while she screamed in, you know, horror and, you know, pleas for help when unheeded. Now, to make Ginny, uh, Kitty Genovese the, also the, the person that tried to buy the dress, why, like, why, why would Alan Moore do that? I mean, she wasn't... Was she... I mean, I, maybe, actually, I don't know. Was she of affluent... Uh, prestige in that time period in new york like would she have been able to cut to commission a said dress from an experimental fabric that's not really made clear in the novel exactly and i don't know exactly what her financial status was and in real life on kitty genovese there yeah i don't think she would have been i mean she, she was from a relative she was from a relatively upper middle class but i don't think she would have been affluent enough for she would have been affluent enough to request a custom dress, but not from experimental fabric. Okay. Well, this experimental fabric was created using Dr. Manhattan technology, because at this point, this he's is been true. around for a while. So it's possible that although this was experimental material, it wasn't necessarily 
like ridiculously expensive because as we know manhattan could synthesize even rare minerals and elements now um with that being said after he found out of kitty genovese's murder this finally started the first steps of rorschach to realize you know somebody's got to do something and superheroes at this point are already kind of a common thing so he decided to take her dress cut out a small portion of it enough to make a mask out of and that became the infamous rorschach mask which would constantly change in black and white shapes um and you know was apparently see-through enough that it wouldn't obscure his vision even at night uh he went around being a costume vigilante to the point where he got recruited with the second generation of the minutemen so this included only a couple of original members the comedian and i forget what the red suited guy was who wasn't in the movie um captain world metropolis metropolis captain metropolis that's right um although he was not in the movie uh, he was in the comic and um this also included all of the newer members including ozymandias the second generation silk specter and night owls and dr manhattan and it was also at this point where you know the cold war tensions were really starting to get serious and that's when Ozymandias started making the connection that, you know, essentially, at some point, superheroes are going to get outlawed. They're just more trouble than they're worth. And that did come to pass. Um, and they had what's called the Keen Act, in which they basically said, okay, no more costume superheroes unless they're under strict government jurisdiction. Which comedian did. Which the comedian did. And he apparently did a lot of black ops and military work afterwards. Um, Rorschach, on the other hand, you know, danced to a beat of his own drum and he just continued being an underground vigilante now his demeanor was very stern stoic and very um you could say had a penchant for violence violence mm-hmm. and that came to a head when one day while researching uh, some abducted children he found out that the person that was taking these children was actually butchering them and feeding them to his dogs and that's what finally set him over the edge. He basically had a revelation. He came to the conclusion that we're all alone in the universe and we, there is no good and evil. It's just humans being humans and he despised them for that. Uh, so at that point, he became essentially the punisher. Um, any criminal that he found to be guilty, he would essentially execute himself. Um, no more leaving people you know, for the police to find. He said that was a rookie mistake. Um, you know, criminals don't learn. They're irredeemable, especially when you get to this level of uh, crime. So uh, he basically just went off the deep end. And uh, he always did like Night Owl because they were partners during the Minutemen time um, and still kept in touch with them periodically. But N- Night Owl just really was not comfortable around him because <laughs> he was just so unnerving. Um, now, from here... The beginning of the series, uh, the graphic novel, starts with uh, Rorschach investigating the murder of uh, the man who we find out is later the comedian. And in that process of investigating his murder, that's when we find out that there's a much larger conspiracy at play. And throughout the whole process, he keeps a journal, aka Rorschach's journal, in which he keeps very detailed notes, not just of his thoughts of, you know, the world and society. He very famously, and uh, the 7th Cavalry also quoted a variation of this. Uh, He basically said, the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us, and I'll whisper no. No. 
<laughs> but they changed it in the uh, the show now to be the whores and race traders. Mm-hmm. So that brings up an interesting thing that we'll talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later on, is how Rorschach's ideology has seems to have been appropriated in a even more like alt right way than even he was. Uh, but that being said, uh, Rorschach kept all these detailed notes in his journal. And shortly before taking a trek to the Antarctic to face off against uh, Ozymandias for the last time, he dropped off his journal in which he had all the information and evidence that he had found regarding Ozymandias' uh, false flag squid thing that he was doing. And he dropped it off at a publication called The New Frontiersman. This appears to be an alt-right publication as well. See, now that's, that's where I... There's no indication that it's an alt-right publication in the 85 book well just the title alone makes See, it seem very but to me the title meant to me it just seemed like hey I, I, okay when i first read it i always just thought of it as like it was more a newsletter for people who like to go hunting like not so much <laughs> it was info war, wars of 1985 well it has a very patriotic slant to it uh, from what I can tell, because at the same time, I mean, this was back in the mid 80s. So there was a very huge anti red scare, uh, you know, yes. better debt than red thing was really like in full swing. So this one was very pro American. And Rorschach, among other things, was apparently also very pro American, even if he was very anti government. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he kept a lot of these notes in there. He And before he basically died, um, you know, we see in the last pages of the the graphic novel was uh, essentially just some really slovenly employee of the New Frontiersman sifting through the uh, the mailbox and finding the journal and just kind of starting to leaf through it. Now, it's also important to note that Rorschach died at the hands of Dr. Manhattan after it was revealed that Ozymandias essentially killed thousands of innocent people in order to scare the world into submission so that they wouldn't kill themselves in uh, nuclear holocaust. Right. Um, he was the only one that was not down with keeping that lie up. And Dr. Manhattan knew that he needed to yes. get rid of him so that the lie could stay. So they could stand a chance to actually unite in the world. Because as we see, it looks like it's actually working. By the end of the graphic novel, we see that um, there's been some peace talks between the U.S. and Russia primarily to the point where you can see like these new Russian delis all of a sudden in some of the rebuilt areas of New York where... The squid monster had originally happened or attacked happened. Um, but yet again, you know, it, the future of this world is cast into doubt because that journal is still out there with the new frontiersmen. And it's implied that, you know, people would read this someday and start to question the validity of the events that happened. There you go. So the 7th Cavalry have taken the words of uh, Rorschach and, and took in it, taking them to the extreme, misinterpreted them. As we've seen, John said, you know, he, they literally took the quote and changed it to what they wanted wanted to say and, and now use it as their uh, rallying cry for what they do as a white supremacist. Somebody made a real-world comparison that the um, Rorschach's journal is being treated like the Turner Diaries. You want to give some background on the Turner Diaries? Um, it was also kind of a sort of alt-right uh, manifesto. I believe Timothy McVeigh was found with a copy of it after he blew up the Oklahoma City bombing. Yes. Okay. So kind of parallel to the real world. So as a person who knew nothing about the Watchmen uh, before this uh, podcast, 
Elizabeth, what does that help you at all understanding the Seventh Calvary? It helps me to understand the Seventh Calvary a little bit because I mean it, the the Turner Diaries is a good example. I mean, quite honestly, you could also use Karl Marx's uh, Communist Manifesto and how the Bolsheviks used it to justify, you know, all the slaughtering that they did in Eastern Europe and in Russia. So I mean, the the overarching storyline of you have somebody who's even if you don't agree or you do agree with whatever their theory is, it then gets morphed and taken by another group to justify horrendous acts of, of violence. Um, that's, that's actually a pretty common thread throughout history. So that definitely does help because that definitely grounds it in concepts that I can attach with. I'm still trying to keep track of everybody and how they interact with each other because I, I, don't know who he went to fight Antarctica in Antarctica. That's um. that's when they went to go to Ozymandias to take okay. take care of Ozymandias and and the big reveal at the end of the story was that he was the one that was Doing. M- creating the false flag so that everybody would rally and and not have a nuclear holocaust. Okay, and it's implied that he didn't do it out of any kind of malice whatsoever. He literally just looked at the cold data. And I was like, this yeah. is the only way, and it's going to take some sacrifices, but it will save the world. He, and, and yeah. he, he made the the, lot, the mathematical calculation versus the emotional calculation. Elizabeth, I understand deeply how you feel right now. <laughs> uh, la- the last uh, show, or well, not the last, was when, when we were watching Game of Thrones, the final season, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. So the whole time, <laughs> they, they were like, oh, no, yeah, and this happened, this happened, and they were from this house. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah no, so it, it definitely does it does provide help and i i think it's going to provide more help as we get farther into it and i we i start to get backstories from some of the other characters more than what's already been mentioned mentioned and starting to establish and just the little bit of background i got last week helped understand this week's episode much better <laughs> so steven Anything you'd like to add about Rorschach? Uh, no, not, not so much, honestly. I think while he's a, a big focus for the bad guys from this season, I don't think that we're going to see him very much. Okay. I think they're they're fine with relegating him to just being um, a repurposed figurehead for these guys. And I always like the idea that uh, Alan Moore wanted to make use the actual DC characters when he was creating the Watchmen to uh and and put them in a world where they were grittier and darker and stuff like that but then dc was like nah we can't do that so rorschach is actually the is the character that's based off the character of the question from dc comics which is actually Mm -hmm. the characters from the charlton comics which is another comic book company that dc just bought up at one point in time so uh, we also have blue beetle in there blue beetles night owl uh, Adam? Phantom, La- Phantom Lady is, is Silk Spectre. The Adam is, is Dr. Manhattan. Mm. So most people would say the Adam is Superman and, or I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Manhattan is Superman and, and Warshak is Batman, but that's not true. They're, they're actually yeah, more much lesser, <laughs> lower string characters. They were more lower string characters. Okay, then let us go <laughs> ahead and get into this episode, episode two of season one, Marshall feats of Comanche horsemanship. Well, I'm saying that ten times fast. <laughs> Was that a reference to something? Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, the painting yeah. that they show at the end. Oh, okay, yeah. That's true. 
did they say the name of the, t- the title of the painting? No, no, just they just the showed title. it a lot in yeah. there. Uh, it's, so yeah, it's the the painting is literally called Comanche Feats of Martial Horsemanship. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I guess just to clarify on that, because I actually had to look that up too, because I'm like, what the hell does this even mean? Um, I guess the tactic that they're referring to and that you see depicted in that painting is essentially a move by which you feign vulnerability by kind of falling off to the side of your horse. And then when that lowers the guard or the defense of your opponent, you then spring up again, you know, with your weapon ready and catch them by surprise, essentially. So it's, it's basically feigning, uh, you know, playing possum to spring a trap. Do we, did we have a character that did that in this episode? Oh, yeah. I think it's implied that uh, the, uh, the Will, the, the old man, uh-huh. played by Louis Gossett yeah. Jr., is definitely playing possum. Because <laughs> we could see that he, uh, although he's kind of frail and wheelchair-bound, he could get out of handcuffs and go across the street and get food and come back. <laughs> and he, he he's not in a hurry to go anywhere. Picked up by a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> he does get picked up by a spaceship, which I I would have to suspect that's Archie, right? It, I yeah. mean, it's definitely we, we, some kind of aerial device. <laughs> I think that like the tools that were used by the Watchmen that we know from the old universe, they're definitely they've been passed around. Because we saw, we saw those goggles as well. Which yeah, are those are some very, very night owl goggles. Reminiscent. Okay, um, so the the beginning of the episode starts off with uh, Knight sister? sister Knight Sister Knight uh, talking to Will at the at the tree. Tree, thank you. <laughs> and uh, at, instead of turning him in, taking him to the police, whatever, she takes him to her bakery, the false bakery. Uh, and questions him, like, who are you? And he's like, I'm the guy who hung up your boss or something like that. Yep. Um, and she just does not want to believe that at all because he's a frail old man who's 90 years old in a wheelchair, and he promptly corrects him and says, I'm 105. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she then goes to the call that is put out about Don Johnson's character being hung up and and gets there and acts surprised by everything. Doesn't have a real big thought about it all. Um, if you were the, this character, what, what I mean, what would be going through your mind at this? I mean, this is a character. Obviously, it's a it's a somewhat of a father figure to her. We, we see the the flashback to White Knight, uh, the night, the Christmas night that everybody or all the cops were. Uh, targeted by different 7th Calvary. Uh, once again, clocks play into a big part of the show. Yep. Every time midnight every time midnight hits in, in, in the show, something bad happens. Uh, do you think... This came across my mind. Do you think that the first guy who came through the door at her place that shot her was Don Johnson? I had some heavy questions about why he didn't reference that the other person was killed. Exactly. And he was injured, which would have been right around the place where she shot him, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the second person that that got killed, but did he really say who it was that killed that second person? No. No reference is made as to... He passed over there even being a second person. So that's, that's the crazy thing to me. And I think she yeah. knows. I think deep down inside, like because of that and how that played out, 
that she kind of compartmentalized it a little bit to always to to keep you know him close just to 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 try to understand what's actually going on hmm. so i don't think I don't, she's I being fooled the case. i don't know if i agree with that okay do you want to elaborate on that she seems to have totally been taken in by him in general she's drunk she yeah. drank the kool-aid hmm. yeah yeah wholeheartedly but don't get me wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe she's. Have you seen the third episode already? <laughs> no, I have not. Oh, okay. Not at all. <laughs> I was like, you know something, don't you? I, <laughs> no. I'm I'm with Steven, and I think part of it is just shell shock. So, I mean, you've been attacked in your own home. The mm-hmm. entire world has been upended. Everything you know about life is is no longer as it is. Somebody's giving you what is a fairly logical. This is what happened. You're not going to question it. You're 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 just you're not. You're okay. Sounds good. You're somebody I trust. I need something to trust right now. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. It, Plus, do do we know of any other police officers who survived who are these masked vigilantes now? So like oh, officers? that survived that are the masked vigilantes. Mm-hmm. I don't. So we did find out that her partner was killed, and yeah. that's where she got yeah. her kids. Yes. Her kids are the the are the kids, the children of her slain partner and their her spouse, significant other yeah. spouse. Yeah. His or her spouse. I don't know if it was a man or woman they at this point. don't really mention it. But we do see Jim Beavers, which would be the father of her partner, show up and try and get a uh, visitation with the kids. And mm-hmm. she essentially just pays him to leave. Yeah. Uh, and he makes comment of, it, is, it, we, it's good. We'll be putting those... Re- Red Federations to good use. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- as the follows the story follows, you know, we'll definitely get back to more stuff of her. But she eventually makes it to Don Johnson's house while there is some type of wake going on for him at her ha- at the at the widow's house, which I thought was very odd. The way the widow was acting, I thought it was very odd how late the wake was. Then again, I've never gone to a lot of I've never got there, gone to a lot of wakes and and stuff like that. It, it well, might be for all the people who are police officers who are masked to be able to finish their normal day job kind of things and still go there. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It it didn't actually strike me as, as all that much, all that odd. I mean, the way she was acting struck me a little odd, except for when you remember that he is essentially a politician and she's essentially a politician's wife. And right. She is on stage right now, so she's you know she'll fall apart later. But why but that's would, not an option right now? Why wouldn't she have invited Angela? That's the thing that I don't understand. I think Angela was invited. That's no, why she, she was completely up. caught off guard. She said, "I was just going to come by to see how you were." No, no I think she said that in reg- uh, in regards to the fact that she passed out. She said, "I was going to come here to take care of you." Yeah. Um, I think oh. she came there for that. Everyone knows that she was a police officer, so it's still okay for her to be like, yeah. I support Right, police. just like the, the guy, and, the, the politician King yeah. said s- said something. And I think mm-hmm. the comments you're thinking of between her their conversations before she passed out was in regards to, I didn't think you'd have the energy to. Uh, like, you've been up mm-hmm. all night, you've then gone through and done this raid where you have all beaten up a bunch of people and taken them in under arrest. Like, Got I it. didn't expect you to have the energy to show up. Like, I'm glad you're here, but I didn't expect to see you. So she also then uh, fakes passing out, mm-hmm. losing energy, 
Then she brings out the goggles that John mentioned earlier that are definitely Night Owl-esque. And uh, she goes into Don Johnson's closet, finds a Ku Klux Klan robe with a sheriff star on it. Yeah. Or a cop star or whatever you want to call it. This, to me, seemed way too easy. Like, this is why I don't think that he is an actual 7th Calvary member and a bad guy. But that's just me. Because it's, 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 it's right there in the open. I, it, well, I mean, it's technically hidden behind. I mean, like, it's a technical secret compartment in his closet. Even, even so, it's, I don't know. I mean, I for the audience, it seems too easy. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the thing now. Now, I don't think that was his, though. Because you think it, it was hers? No. His widow's? No, no. I think that was like mm-hmm. his father's or something like that. I think... Um, That's what I said. Oh. Yeah. It looks like it's more of like an heirloom, like a reminder of like, this is where we come from. And um, it, maybe it could just be one of those like, you know, like to try to suppress history is to like pretend it never happened. You know, it's instead we should keep it at the forefront kind of, you know, thing. Because um, he definitely didn't seem like he was a hater, but yeah, like, but that that was the argument that I, I don't remember exactly if it was you or not. But pe- in our podcast last week, people were saying he he seemed too eager to not let uh, those those guys get away when he was in the the Archie and and maybe he's a Seventh Cavalry member. Well, this is true. I don't think that. I honestly don't. Or it's writing. It, it's an intentional misdirect, which yes. I think yeah. is what that is. Well, yeah, and I think um, so. Jessica had a Jessica had a comment um, that she felt she really liked in this episode the development of Sister Knight and the fact that she thinks uh, Sister Knight might be the new Rorschach and essentially a repeat of what was in the comics, but with new characters. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he may not be a part of the Seventh Cavalry, but a part of some new plan to create a big external threat. Um, yes. Yeah, I think John brought that up last week with the very last scene that we had from the ep- last week's episode with the 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 blood spot on the st- on his badge is very much mimicking the comedian's blood spot on his. Uh, smiley face so if we take into account that the the don johnson's character is the new comedian uh and uh sister knight is the new rorschach we will find out through the story that uh don johnson though not the greatest of guys which we've already seen he is yeah he is very much you know totalitarian like we're the police we are the ones that take care of everything uh and we rule but uh he's going to also was working towards uncovering something bigger, some type of bigger thing that's, that was going to be bad for everybody. He's essentially like a Paul Revere character. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was at this point that I got really bothered by people who, who have gone through and kind of like review bombed the series here on out. Um, They're all saying that the, like the racial things that are brought up in the, the series they're saying it's like heavy handed, bad writing, and they're all offended that this is still a thing that we're talking about in a show like this. At this point, like, like I don't know what to say to the people who are such big fans of the previous series. They're like, everyone gets offended when something has politics in it. Pretty much everything has politics in it. It's either metaphorical in some way, shape, or form. You can turn it into politics or it's directly there. 
um, just because it's something that you that's like maybe you feel is directed towards you or people that you identify with in some way, shape or form. Maybe consider why you're offended by the thing rather than be offended by it. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, at this point, I can't see how you can not at least be intrigued by this show. Like, I guess if you, you needed to be offended, you can be, but like the, to call the, the writing this heavy handed, you did not watch Carnival Row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll t- like, I, I don't understand. They're the, they're the same crowd that are mad that Star Wars is the way that it is in so many cases. Like, right. Oh, there's a heavy amount of overlap in Reddit posts for those users. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the, the the Star Wars movies that people like so much are things that fail the Bechdel test until Star Wars Episode Two. True. Yeah. Like the prequels. Yeah. So, I mean, again, <laughs> consider why you're offended rather than... The things that offend you in the series. I finally watched that rant that Freddie Prince Jr. did. Did you? And I'm like, it was good. Yeah, I was like, yeah, he's he's got it right. He's that, got a that's, point. That's the problem with the fandom. I love that he gives Lucas so much like like props in that. Like yeah. he's just like Lucas knows this. He's very <laughs> smart. Just yeah. like over and over. All right, but with this show, uh, another part of the uh, the things that happens with Angela is that she. Then takes uh, DNA taken uh, from Will and takes it to the cultural center, the African American yeah. cultural center, and uh, says, "You know, the idea here is that uh, if you put in your DNA, we can then trace it back to see if you have any ancestors that were, uh, you know, essentially killed or stolen from in the Tulsa massacre, and we will." then connect you to that and say, hey, you have living relatives that you might not know about. So, not going to lie, this is the part that made me the most uncomfortable in this episode. Really? So, not because of the DNA test itself, but the kinds of things that DNA registries could be used Uh for in the wrong hands, particularly in totalitarian regimes. Um, Because I think back to... One of the reasons in World War II the Nazis were so successful at eliminating almost every uh, Dutch Jew is because the Netherlands previously, uh, several decades before, had created a national registry. And they cataloged every citizen and every citizen's name and where they lived and who they were related to and their religion. And the purpose was to ensure that everybody could vote and to ensure you know all of these good things but the Nazis were able to come in and essentially use that registry to find and eliminate everybody that they deemed an undesirable. Right. So this whole concept of a DNA registry and, oh, now we can trace you back, guaranteed, made me very uncomfortable because the implications that of what it could potentially be used for in the wrong hands or even in the hands thinking they're doing the right thing that may be the wrong thing yeah no i mean it's obviously that the show is not gonna shy away from using history or reusing history so i i could definitely see that as a seventh cavalry move to storm the the cultural center find those records and then now track down people um i think that's definitely a thing that we're that the series is leaning towards things structures that are built for a good purpose that are then abused yes most definitely uh, but she then uses the the registry, the the automated system that's there to uh, in, input 
Will's DNA, and uh, she gives a phone number. So did anybody else decide to give <laughs> give a look at that phone number? Because I it's not a 555 it. number. I thought about I, it. I, tr- I was I considered calling it. I didn't. Did anybody do it? I didn't call it, but I did look it up. So if you look it up, uh, other more reputable uh, news sites online did call it, and it, it goes nowhere. It nothing happens. It, it it completely shut down. Uh, we come to we come to find out later. It's the number for her bakery, uh, which I also find interesting. So the idea that there's landlines, they use beepers. I don't think I've seen anybody use a cell phone in the show yet. There's an explanation for that. Um, I linked it in our group chats that we have outside uh-huh. of the podcast. Um, but essentially, the, the show has its own supplemental material similar to the end of the graphic novel issues. Okay. Uh, called uh, hbo.com slash pdpedia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is filling in some of the blanks. It talks about the essentially the mini dark age of technology that happened after, shortly after the squid attack. Makes um, sense. Because it was theorized uh, in those notes. Um, there's this theory that the, our abuse of technology is what attracted the interdimensional squid to our world. So for a <laughs> short time uh, after the attack happened, uh, there was sort of this phobia of using uh, anything more advanced than, um, you know, your standard, like for that time anyway, like an Apple IIe. Um, so there was a, a huge lapse in real heavy computer technology, um, and uh, I guess they only changed. They only started getting around that within the last ten years. They started to kind of pick it back up and say, "Well, maybe we'll be okay if we kind of just go back into it slowly." And supposedly the squid attacks tie into that, saying that it's sort of a constant reminder that our abusive technology might bring things like this to our world again. So it's another way of kind of using fear to keep people under control, uh, to kind of keep our technology at a, at a level where, you know, it doesn't outpace our ability to, you know, nuke ourselves, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting little deterrent. Um, but yeah, that, that's intentional, that we don't have cell phones, computers. Um, I mean, I think faxing might be like, cutting edge right now yeah beepers as we saw is kind of like the only real way to get in contact with people um not next to a landline so yeah it's it's also i think having cell phones for this kind of story um would definitely be a detriment to storytelling just think how many seinfeld plots would just be completely pointless if they had cell phones back. yeah then. but look at the cultural center itself the cultural center has a dna on the spot testing thing like and holographic technology and holographic yes. technology so, so it, it, it's weird where some. certain things went up and some other things didn't uh i had to remind myself while watching this episode that history is the exact same in the Watchmen universe up until world war ii when dr manhattan while working on the manhattan project you know blows himself up and becomes dr manhattan after that point is where the two timelines split like the the fact of dr manhattan coming into existence then creates this whole world where things are different well i would say it starts a little bit before that although that's where the huge shift really starts to happen i think it actually starts a little bit before with uh, the coming of the first couple of superheroes, mm-hmm. that starts the split. But where, there, but we talked about that. There's no actual superpowers uh, no. until Doctor Manhattan. The, well, that is correct. But 
I think if we're going to go thematically speaking, because there was a little reference in this episode to pirates. Yes. And uh, the ghost ship. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing in the graphic novel. I might have to do something just on that alone. The <laughs> pop culture influence that superheroes had. Um, I mean, this isn't going to be something that's obvious just from watching the show or even the movie, really. But because superheroes became a real thing in the 1930s of this fictional world, um, superheroes never really took off in pop culture. Right. So instead, okay. pirate stories became like the superheroes of this world. And like everybody is into that. And like it became like in the Watchmen graphic novel, there's a comic within the comic of a pirate ghost story being told. That a little boy yeah. is reading. Yes, that a boy is reading at a newsstand, which also kind of mimics some of the key elements of the uh, story itself. You know, kind of self-referential, a little bit meta. Um, Isn't that what we get in the TV show? We do with yeah. the, the TV show inside the TV, the TV show. show within the TV show, the American uh, yes. hero story, American hero story is kind of this version of that too, um, which is pretty cool. And also kind of uh, in the first episode, the woman that's piloting the Archie, her code name is pirate Jenny. That's true. Which I thought was kind of neat. And I was like, Hey, it's just like the black freighter. So the DNA test comes back and we find out that Angela is actually the granddaughter of Will, which, uh, to Will, did not seem to be a surprise. To Angela, oh, definitely know. was a surprise. She was like, what, what? <laughs> I mean, she's surprised. But, but then again, suspected. she's not really all that surprised because I'm sorry, you had to have some sort of connection to not call in Don Johnson's murder, bring that guy in, and instead bring him to the bakery. And to have the forethought because you'll notice that when they called, the automated system didn't just give up who the names were. Right. It asked yeah. if you had any names that you wanted to reference. Yes. Yeah, you're and absolutely so right. so she had to ask to see that if was, she was related. And so that was the strangest thing. Like, to me, it, I never crossed my mind that she was thinking that until that point when she says her own name. So I was, I was really surprised. Um, that's when we get to the point where she's going to take him to police custody. And as he does it, he's, he even said earlier, Oh, my friends are going to come take me away. You're not going to get that opportunity. And at, friends in high places, high friends in high places. Yeah. So <laughs> literally as uh, there, he's taking on or as they're about to leave, she gets him into the vehicle. You know, the, a big old magnet comes down, picks up the car, takes it away. Uh, I mean, we just assuming that it's, it's an Archie. Yeah. I think it was Dr. Robotnik. You think it was Dr. Robotnik? Okay. Not going to lie, the only thing that went through my head during that whole scene was, I really hope she didn't put her purse in the car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, other things that have happened. Okay, so the very first scene in this in this episode was uh, the German scene where mm. a uh, phone operator was then asked to go and take dictation yes. in another room. Because she spoke English. Because she spoke English. But he also asked for her by name which was Mueller. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting because we talked about this last week where uh, the original uh, Hooded Justice character was named Mueller. He was a strong man. Well, he's theorized to be the original... By the original Night Owl. Yes. And then the American Hero Story, which yeah. I think is hilarious yeah. that they call it that because we have American Horror Story and American Crime Story from Ryan Murphy in the real world. Real quick, though. How awesome was that minute-long trigger warning before the episode? Oh, no kidding. Right. Yeah. That, that was a, great. It was, a, it was a lot. And then, obviously, very much mimicking Zack Snyder's uh, influence on the movie from 2009? 
uh, yes. 2000, was Two, it 2010? 8? Uh, 2009. 9? 2008, okay. 2009, somewhere on there. But yes, uh, very much his violence, his his stabby, his slow motion <laughs> into uh, into some mm-hmm. type of uh, big kill. Hyperviolence, yeah. Hyperviolence. And uh, in that thing, it also ex- it exclaims that uh, Mueller is uh, hooded justice. Yeah. Kind was, of. Yeah. Because he says the whole thing is, is kind of done the same way that Rorschach was in uh, the Watchmen movie. Like, this yeah, is, I this it was is me. Be a parody of Rorschach. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. But yeah, it was interesting that they they specifically pointed out that that woman, that Russian typist, or not Russian, that German typist, her name was Mueller. Yes. And uh, yeah, the, the, the strong man that we theorize was uh, the original Hooded Justice was also, I think his name was like Rolf Mueller, mm-hmm. something like that. And see, when I originally started watching that first part of that second episode or this episode, I thought this was part of the show. Like the one that they had been advertising throughout all of episode one was tune in tomorrow to watch American Hero Story and stuff like that. Mm. And I thought this was, oh, we're, we're going into the show first. But that ended up being something else completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, the reason that that German officer wanted that typist was because he was going to dictate to her that propaganda leaflet. That's right. Which yep. was a real leaflet as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of funny how they tied all of that in together. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated about more. And one of the things that was going to make or break the series for me is how well you can integrate all these very disparate but real life situations or events into a cohesive narrative. And so far, they've been doing a pretty good job. It's only been two episodes, and they could really screw it up. Um, I've it's been only hearing, nine episodes long. I've been hearing a lot of really good things about this third episode, though. Already? Yeah. I've been, like, just people, well, because, like, from East Coast, they were already yeah, able to access it. I guess they would have got it at six, our time, but. Yeah. Plus, I think there's daylight savings or something. I don't know what's yeah, going It on. doesn't matter. There's, well, also, <laughs> there's also a lot of news news um, organizations that get the first three episodes before oh, yeah, anybody screeners, else. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I've been hearing that if, like if this episode doesn't reel you in, then there's nothing that's going to help you with it. But if you like the show so far, this is going to be like, wow. I see. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Um, so kind of jumping around a little bit, uh, not sure if we're done with that section. I think talking we are. About the American horror hero story. Hmm. How awesome is looking glass? Looking Glass is awesome, and he very much is iconically Rorschach. Yeah, like the even to the part where he's lifted the mask only above his nose so that he can eat. Like that is a, a very right from the comic book scene of Rorschach eating beans with like, his mask only halfway up, and he also, never takes it off. And also being kind of a moocher for food, like always asking others for yeah, something to eat. That's true. Because yeah, that's he's, fair. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, <laughs> and we see him do that twice in this episode, which is pretty awesome. But I really love just that interaction between him and uh, Sister Knight, who you know when he gets into the car, he just kind of gives her the cold rundown of like, like yeah, he was hung up. There's evidence of struggle. He was suffering the whole time, and it hurt a lot. And, you know, she starts saying a couple of things and she says, why do I feel like I'm being interrogated right now? Well, he had asked her like, oh, so you were the last one to see him. He, you, you, he was at your house and she's like, he's like, was he drinking? He's like, she wasn't drinking anything that more than usual. And, and then was he doing any drugs? He might've done some Coke in the bathroom. Yeah. 
So like, that sounds like some kind of party. Yeah. And it was like, there were kids there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. But the fact that he was, it's actually kind of like cross-examining her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it could just be that that's just the way he talks or it's giving away that she knows more than she's letting on. No, I think that's essentially why those three characters, Red Scare, Looking Glass, and Sister Knight, are who they are. Like, because... I think Red Scare is definitely like the the leader of the SWAT team that is ready to bust in a door and take down whoever he needs to take down. He's Sis- the muscle for sure. He's the muscle. Sister Knight, who obviously can take care of herself, is the one that, like she said, I can see when someone's lying to me or something. Like, what was it? Or someone's a white supremacist. Isn't that what she said? And and he looks really bleached in yeah. the first episode. Yeah. That's right. I can tell when someone's bleached. Yeah. So Looking Glass is just good at interrogating people like good at getting to the bottom of whatever it is that he is that's why he is looking glass yeah i like i like the character a lot i really like the things that they're approaching with the things but at the same time i also feel weird about the fact that we're kind of divvying up everything into these really clear cut kind of uh, I, I can't remember the name of it right now it's older movie comic books um comic book pop influence uh baseball bat gang oh warriors yeah, it feels like warriors oh. groups. Like there's like the Nixon people. Yeah. All like the, these guys that oh. wear the Rorschach masks. Well, so I mean, that's kind of how the graphic novel was too. You had in that one, you had a gang called the Top Knots. And they were mm-hmm. like these really stereotypically bad looking kind of pseudo Japanese inspired gangs of like just Caucasians. <laughs> it's really weird. And they wore like cut off jean jackets. I mean, it is. We, we have to look at the source material for the idea yeah. of the why things are cut or are are segmented like that and and I don't I do think though by the time we get to the to this you will find that there isn't as much segment seg segregation sure diversification there you go um <laughs> did did was there something else I was sent oh yeah Jessica has a whole bunch of stuff um so what I don't know where we want to get to first. Um, she and I both did note that the uh, paper, the newspaper, uh, said they didn't know why it was raining squids. Um, so both of us ha- had noted on that. And uh, as, she, as Jessica points out, even though it's obvious that it's been happening for a long time since they know when it will happen and have put together an alarm warning system, uh, but they don't know why it's happening and nobody seems to really mind other than to ask the question but if they've had enough time to set up an alarm system why don't they know why it's raining squids uh so (laughs) i just thought of the song it's raining squids (laughs) hallelujah so do you think that the government is once again trying to create another false flag so that people aren't fighting amongst themselves anymore well so yeah she what was that, Stephen? That's what those people say. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we haven't talked about the scene of the rich man who is putting on this play about Dr. Manhattan. There's a lot to unpack on that one. So that was what I was going to say to last. Before we get to that, I wanted to talk about the raid on uh, the 7th Cavalry. Nixonville? Nixonville, that's what it was called. Sorry. Uh, but yes, so here's the point where we were talking about in the last episode of of Sister Knight being our our hero that has to go on the journey and make the changes to herself. Last week she was all about walking into someone's house, kicking the door in, and and pulling them out and beating the crap out of them to get a confession. This week it's all seems a little not right. The idea of just 
walking in there, taking who she wants, who they need to take, and 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 telling them that they they can't uh, they can't worship Nixon anymore, kind of thing. Like she doesn't want to do it, but the moment that one of them gets close enough, she unleashes holy hell on that dude's head. Yeah, it's complete and utter overkill. Exactly. So, how do you feel about? This character, your your the our main character that we're following, because you, I feel like you and Jessica yeah. probably had the biggest reservations about it. Maybe even Stephen. Yeah, Jess, Jessica has stated that she liked the the further development, and she thinks that our that Sister Knight's going to be the new Rorschach. I don't know enough to know whether or not that makes sense. Um, I guess I like her a little better, but I still don't care for it okay um mostly because it she's going even farther outside of standard channels and i get that you know at this point you know standard channels aren't ideal to begin with but it just seems very um if i think it's right it must be right it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks doesn't matter what else is going on if I think it's right, that it's the right thing to do. Okay. Uh, so getting into the rich man and his uh, play, his watchman's son. Uh, I Oh, I forgot to mention with the when Angela goes to talk to her son, who's using those magnetic toys to make a big old okay. castle or whatever. Uh, it's very much the same castle. It looks very much like the same castle that Dr. Manhattan was making on the moon or on Mars and... Uh, maybe even the one that who we're calling at this moment Ozymandias lives in, and the same way that the boy uh, that Doctor Manhattan swipes away and destroys the one on Mars, the boy does the exact same thing and swipes it away on in his his bedroom, and he doesn't have any emotion towards the death of Don Johnson's character. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Stephen. Oh, that, that was it. That was it. That was my uh, substantive addition. <laughs> I think he's got. A, I mean, I think that swiping is very much indicative of the emotion, and I, I think. I mean, Sister Knight gets into it with him in her conversation about the fact that you know your sisters think the world is sunshine and roses, and a lot of people do, but we both know that that's not the case because it's implied in the flashback. And then again in her conversation that Luca saw his parents die on that white mm-hmm. night. Um, and so he very much operates like a survivor of that kind of tragedy in that you just carry through, you carry through, but there are brief outlashes of anger, just like her f- much larger outlash on the guy who got close to her in Nixonville. There you go. And that's kind of the parallel. So he definitely does show emotion to having Don Johnson's character die. Um, brief aside, because it ties in, Jessica, the flashback for the White Knight, uh, Jessica noted that the White Knight reminded her of the um, American Revolution War story of Washington storming the British on Christmas because nobody suspects to be attacked on Christmas. So. In which 7th Cavalry would definitely 
go back to that kind of yeah. thinking and, and being like, oh, yeah, we're founding fathers kind of things. John, did you have something you wanted to say a second ago? Uh, yeah. So before we dive deep into the uh, the rich man side of the story, because it ties so much into Dr. Manhattan, uh, there was a lot of referencing to Dr. Manhattan with Will and Angela. And um, it was really bizarre because, you know, when she first gets him in the in the bakery, she's like, who are you? And he's like, would you believe Dr. Manhattan? <laughs> and he's like, well, Dr. Manhattan's on Mars. And he's blue. And he's blue. And he's like, well, yeah, but he can, like, change atoms, atomic structure. And he can like, be anywhere. He can yeah. be in multiple places at once. Why couldn't he make himself look like somebody and, else? And he can make copies of himself, yeah. which kind of might tie in a little bit to the other thing we'll talk about. But as we were having this conversation, I thought it was interesting that he, she's also making coffee for him, obviously, to get the sample of DNA from him drinking it. But I thought it was interesting that the coffee pot was blowing, uh, blowing was glowing blue. Uh, in a very similar hue to what we've seen Dr. Manhattan glowing. Um, and there's a couple of spots of blue throughout the episode, primarily when they're talking about Manhattan, which I'm sure has to be, you know, purposeful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they had this conversation about how Dr. Manhattan can, can do anything and be anywhere. Why can't he look like anyone too? You know, he can change the, the tone of his blue. Why can't he just make himself look like a normal person? Mm-hmm. And then she basically called this bluff. I forget how, but she's like, okay, well, can you do this or whatever? And that's when he was like, okay, I'm not really Manhattan. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, then that kind of ties into the rich man. So uh, first impressions, seeing this play happen, what are your thoughts on that? I was suitably... Well, for one, I was very confused and then suitably disturbed when he lit the guy on fire. Um, very obviously, very obviously actually on fire, not stage fire. Um, and then, of course, the whole nonchalant, do you want to be the new version of him? The new to, Phillips. Do you want to be the new Phillips? Which, like, even as... Clones, I guess. Are they, I don't know if they're clones or robots. But yeah, we don't know exactly what they are yet. If they've got sufficient um, cognitive ability to be able to stage cry and to build machineries based off of drawings, one would think that you realize that, you know, if you accept said promotion, you're dying tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> which I just kind of struck me as odd uh jessica's note on this is that it was fascinating because he's obviously obsessed with dr manhattan and it made her think that he that this rich gentleman is crazy and is a crazy scientist willing to kill millions to save billions so she's wondering if he's essentially the new dr manhattan in this arc um but she wasn't sure based off of how the comics were, if that would make sense. Okay. So I was wondering if if some if uh the stuff that we see with this guy is actually happening outside of the reality that we see. I think that's a very good possibility that he he exists outside of reality. Uh I mean it seems that every day is the same exact day for him. Same thing mm-hmm. happens every time. The, the cake, the singing, singing of He's a Jolly Good Fellow, then goes right into, all right, we have a play to do tonight kind of thing. So yeah. he, 
I think that this is not Ozymandias, and I think it's actually just a older version of Ostrander. That's what Dr. Manhattan's real name was, right? Osterman. Osterman, thank you. So in a version of it, uh, Dr. Manhattan has created a version of himself that didn't get blown up and uh, can is living out a life in this outside of reality thing. And he is recreating, he's telling the story of himself over and over and over again to try mm. and figure it out. Like Memento maybe? Yes. Like Memento. Mm. I like that theory. That would definitely be a twist. Cause we're all assuming it's uh, Ozymandias. Ozymandias. Yeah. Or vet or vet V bite. Bite. I think it's bite. You know, I think it's bite too. Um, yeah. So in this play, we see the rich man, is forcing the two servants, the male and the female, to play the parts of John Osterman and Janie something. Would eventually, would have been Osterman, no? Didn't she, didn't they get married? No, I don't think they ever got married. Okay. They, they were friendly. They were definitely on the cusp of dating. Osterman was very awkward. Mm-hmm. I think that was his first female love interest ever. And this is already like out of like MIT or wherever he went to study physics at. Um, but they're essentially reenacting the day that Osterman accidentally gets locked into the intrinsic experiment chamber. Um, and he essentially gets his atoms blown to bits. He doesn't get incinerated like he does in this one. <laughs> but I mean, the, the result was essentially the same. He ends up dying, except in the graphic novel and in the movie. He's piecing himself back together. Yeah, he, he somehow his consciousness remains, and through his understanding of physics, he's able to manipulate atoms to reform themselves. And that's how he becomes, essentially, he becomes like a fourth dimensional being. Yes. He gets knocked out of our reality, but he still has an avatar presence here in a way. Um, so this is essentially where we're watching, is uh, the rich man is putting on the play of the events that led to that moment where he become where where John Osterman becomes Dr. Manhattan. Um, but it's also very odd. Just, <laughs> I mean, he purposely incinerates one of the servants, and then he has a, his replacement, which looks exactly like him, and they, all of these are copies of the same male and female, basically. Yeah, all the males look the same, all the females look the same. And he has the the crew doing the music. They're wearing hoods, because you don't want to, I guess it was supposed to be a surprise Is reveal it, later. Right. But then they start playing Ride of the Valkyries, which was kind of a nod, I guess, to the movie. Cause, oh, uh, did, he, did Zack Snyder use that? He uses that during the Vietnam sequences. Oh, that's right. Um, during the actual birth of Dr. Manhattan, I'll link this in a YouTube video because it's actually pretty awesome. It's one of the things that Zack Snyder really did like spot on is the whole uh, the birth of Dr. Manhattan sequence. Just really, really awesomely well done. Like, I wouldn't mind if they did flashbacks to that in this one, just appropriated them and say, yeah, this actually did happen because <laughs> it's so good. But um, no, yeah, that one uses different music. Um, yeah, we don't know what's going on here. Like it's. I mean, I, I guess I like the idea of him trying to figure out what happened. But if that's the case, he's really hung up on the female servant really crying yes and that doesn't seem relevant to what he would be trying to figure out i i don't think it's so much trying to figure out when i was explaining that he's trying to figure out what happened to him i think he's just trying to figure out himself so in that moment it would be that he needs to know that the 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 female that that servant is playing did feel sad the fact that he died 
I, he, I felt like he's just mad that these like facsimiles of humanity that he's created are not so great. He also got <laughs> inordinately mad about the cake thing before. Yes, yeah. he did. And the fact that you don't use a horseshoe to cut cake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, and I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that he is getting upset at these things, but it's, I don't know. And then, of course, there's that blue costume. Yes. So <laughs> I did want to bring this up. So, uh, yes, we have, once again, straight up naked Dr. Manhattan person. Um, but he's ascending. He's ascending from above, whereas the one that died dies in fire. So, I mean, are we going for straight up hell and heavenly iconography there? Like representation? So Osterman was was sent straight to hell and Dr. Manhattan ascended from heaven? Descended. Descended, sorry. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. You correct me. (laughs) I think that's a very, very uh, just assessment uh, or analysis of the situation. Um, I mean, obviously, that's not exactly how it played out in the graphic novel. Right. But it's very good visual metaphor for possibly what happened. I mean, um, it could be seen that, you know, when Osterman died uh, during the experiment, that, you know, his humanity died. And what came back was just a different being that just happened to have the same memories. Which would kind of tie into another work from Alan Moore. You have the Swamp Thing. The Swamp Thing, for the longest time in DC Comics, was thought to be Alec Haldland, who had died, got thrown into the swamp, and then became Swamp Thing. When you come to find out when Alan Moore wrote the story, it was a elemental being that then took on the memories of Alec Haldland after he got thrown into the swamp. So, inter- that's an interesting uh, counterpoint. Nope, not counterpoint. Analog? Sure. Possibly. I mean, and there is a relation. Yes. And I definitely think that Lindelof did his homework on this one. Oh, yeah. He's not phoning this in. Uh, leftovers is apparently really great. People love that. I mean, I, I like Lost. <laughs> I will slap Lost you. I like things about Lost. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, 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 have, you have stated many times that the... I hate his, Prometheus. His, his addition to the Alien franchise is not good. No. Whoa! <laughs> Prometheus is fantastic. Steven is <laughs> saying that with a big old grin on his face. I don't think he believes it. No, no, I did I did seriously mean it. Oh, do I you? I love that movie. Okay. Yeah, Covenant's trash, though. Covenant is trash. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um... Was this the first time it was revealed what uh, Sister Knight's name was? Because I didn't remember hearing it in the first episode. No, they said it in the first episode. They did? We were just, well, I was saying it wrong. I thought it was Knight's sister for some reason. No, 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 her actual name, Angela. Oh, no. They mentioned her name, I think, in the first episode. Did they? Okay. Uh, I just, because the whole, her name being Angela, Angel, all the stuff about heaven and hell. Uh, Something I didn't bring Uh, up during the first episode uh, but it kind of can relate now to the Rorschach journal of Rorschach. Um, because he was kind of unhinged, uh, he kind of referred to himself. He like When the big moment happened that the 
Um, I should have added this at the beginning. Now it feels really disjointed. <laughs> You'll edit it in, right? At the sure. beginning. Okay. Um, That's not getting edited in. <laughs> <laughs> when, when the big thing happened that caused him to finally like lose it and become full-on Rorschach, he essentially describes it kind of like what we're talking about, that like his human side, Walter Kobach's, died. Mm-hmm. And he became Rorschach completely. Right. Like That's mm-hmm. all that was left. And um, he always referenced to his Rorschach mask as being his face, his true face, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where like when they take it off and he goes to prison in the graphic novel, the very first thing he wants when he gets busted out, he goes to the, uh, the guy who's his therapist and he right. yells at him, where's my face? Um, in the first episode, when um, Looking Glass is in um, the hospital room with uh, the officer that got shot, mm-hmm. he has his mask rolled up past his eyes, which is the only time I think you see him do that so far in these two episodes. And after uh, Judd speaks to him for a couple of, you know, whatever they had their discussion, he says, all right, you know, before you go, put your face back on. Right. So he kind of tells him that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that's just kind of a bit of an aside. It did remind me of you, like the discussion of you know Osterman died and Manhattan, you know, became the the real person. That kind of ties in with uh, Rorschach because he literally says that that's what happened to him. He says Kovacs died that night, and there was only Rorschach left. So that could be part of what we're seeing here is the trying to reclaim or just find out what happened to the humanity. But I would say that we're having the opposite with Angela. Angela is now finding herself back because maybe she died the night of White Knight and now she's maybe finding her humanity again. Oh, what a twist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Is there anything else anybody would like to throw in there last second? Anybody look, everybody's still looking forward to the next episode, the next few episodes, the end of the series season. Yeah. I'm all in. I think, I think I have to watch the episodes right before we talk about them. Same. I watched half the episode before last week and then half of the episode today. <laughs> uh, and I think like just there's there's so many things, so many references and things like that. that I, I can't watch it today. <laughs> and then remember for it episode. for next well, week. I highly recommend yeah. you check out the Watchmen subreddit then because they really pick apart and find Easter eggs that would never have occurred to me even upon multiple rewatchings, like some people are really on it. I, I just see, I, I don't know. Like I like the idea of doing that stuff, but at the same time, I don't think I've ever, I, I never fully appreciate those things unless it's something that I watched like 10 years ago and I found a continued love. Ah. If I go and lean straight into Easter eggs and things like that, I, 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 it loses a little bit of the mysticism. I don't, even though it doesn't have anything to do with the main plot at hand, I, I don't, I steal something from it for me. Okay. I'm more looking forward to this next episode than I was looking forward to this one. Got if it. that makes sense. Well, I'm going to be here. So <laughs> you can expect me. You can expect to see me. Uh, if you want to talk to me it's about this episode. Mitch, they don't see you. Oh, uh, well, they, you can imagine <laughs> me. I look, I look just like looking glass. Uh, <laughs> You can find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia G-E-M. Uh, G-E-M stands for Geekly Media. Elizabeth? Yeah, I don't have a Twitter, so you can find me at Geekly Media. There you go. Uh, Jessica's Geekly, or Jessica's Twitter is at J-E-M Bailey Writes. John? I am on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. And another quick aside, I'm so glad that they're not shying away from the penis. <laughs> they yeah. sure did not. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> Uh, Steven, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find me across all social media platforms as either Peppermint Gentleman or Peppermint Gentle or Peppermint Gent. Peppermint Gentle. Um, <laughs> Gentile. Uh, catch me out there tweeting about the frustrations of Death Stranding next Friday. <laughs> Uh, the rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. 